0: Welcome to the Two Journeys Podcast. This is part two of episode 37 in the book of John entitled, The Arrest, where we discuss John chapter 18, verses one through 18. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today?
1: Well, we're in a whole new section of John's Gospel and uh, let me go back over, a, I think, a helpful four-part outline that I have memorized uh, for John's Gospel. it be helpful to see how we're in a new section now. The overall purpose of John's Gospel is stated in John 20, 30, and 31, uh, in which John says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the goal of the Gospel of John is to persuade the reader that Jesus is God mm. and that believing that you will have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. So to that end, he writes everything he writes in the gospel. It's very purposeful. And it breaks into four sections. Section one is the prologue, uh, which is John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, et cetera. Um, you know, and the, just the introductory section. And then from John 1, 19 through the end of chapter 12, we would have what we could call Jesus's public ministry. And that's Jesus ministering to a mixed group. There's a lot of believers and unbelievers. There's an interplay always between light and darkness, those that believe, those that reject. And that's made up of seven miraculous signs and seven extended teachings. Um, and those are interspersed. John mixes in some of the miracles and then there'll be some extended teaching. And then Jesus' private ministry from John 13 through 17. And that has to do with Jesus ministering to his own apostles once Judas is gone, although Judas begins that section there. He leaves and John says it's night. And so that breaks into some subsections. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, teaches them many things, and then prays for them. And now we're in the final section, and that is Jesus, the account of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Mm. And it's very intentional how John writes it. He writes it to prove the deity of Christ. Whereas in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're gonna see much more of the humanity of Christ, Jesus sweating great drops of blood, the agony and all that. John doesn't deny that, but just doesn't make much of it. What we're gonna see here is Jesus behaving in a supernaturally sublime way while everyone around him falls apart. Hmm. Everyone around him, both his enemies and even his own apostles, fall apart. And so we're going to see Jesus, by contrast, displayed as a sublime, supernatural, figure, the incarnate God-man, in the midst of these crazy circumstances of his arrest, his trials, his crucifixion, his death, so that's what we're going to see.
0: Well, so that we can have a sense of where we're at in the book of John, I'm going to read John chapter 18, verses 1 through 18 for us. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father in law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Andy, picking up in verse 10 where we left off, Peter acts very consistently with what we've come to expect from him. He draws his sword and deftly removes the high priest servant's ear from his head. What do we learn in Jesus' response? And what is the cup that the Father had given Christ?
1: I will answer your question, but what do we learn about Peter? Oh, my goodness. Oh, (laughs) Oh, Peter. (laughs) Yeah, Peter, you know.
0: He's consistent. Yeah.
1: We have have a friend, Chris, uh, in, in the in our church, uh, one of the leaders of our church, and he said, Peter was a ready, fire, aim guy. So uh, I love that. Ready, <laughs> ready fire, fire, aim. aim. Yeah. Got <laughs> so it, yeah. He's just like, he's acting boldly. Now, what's so interesting here is just the mentality of Peter. The, the Greek word here, makaira, refers to a basically a dagger, but you could picture a fisherman's knife. So a knife he, he wears on his belt to carve up fish that he's got. So he's going to use this fisherman's dagger to fight 600 <laughs> Roman
0: soldiers. Starts with the guy closest yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah, we'll start with let's, the first let's guy. let and,
1: and the funny thing is, it's like, is he really aiming for an ear, you know? He's, he's probably gonna try to kill him, but he misses. And, and again, interesting, John doesn't tell us that Jesus did a miracle there in restoring Malchus's ear. Wouldn't it be wonderful to find out that Malchus was later con- converted, you know, mm. that he knew what happened to him? Uh, that would be a wonderful thing. Doesn't say anything about him, but uh, Peter is trying to fight that Jesus would not be handed over to the Jews, and so that's the very thing he will later say to Pontius Pilate. His servants did not do, hmm. and Jesus does not want Peter fighting with the sword, and he, you know, and he says in Matthew's gospel very plainly do you think I could not call on my father and he would at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled to say it must happen in this way? So that's his mentality in Matthew's Gospel. Here what he says the same thing but different words I think he said all those words but only you know the gospels record, record different version different ones mm. but he said them all put your sword away shall I not drink the cup the father has given me and so it's that mentality is I must drink this cup mm. now Gethsemane and all the wrestling and the drops of blood he has to get to that point father if it is possible let this cup be taken from me John doesn't give us any of that he just says I'm going to drink the cup yeah and in all four of them, the Gospels, he comes to that point. He will drink the cup. But Peter, he's got to be told, I am determined to go to the cross.
0: And what is that cup? Right. Can you kind of explain what sure. talking the about. The
1: cup, here? I believe, represents the cup of God's wrath. We see that in Revelation 14, uh, how the wicked who are consigned to hell uh, drink from the cup of God's wrath, which has been poured full strength, etc. cetera. There's this, mm. this image of wrath. Mm. And so Jesus is drinking the full wrath of God poured out for all the elect of all time. That's, that's what he's drinking. And he's going to drink the cup of God's wrath by dying on the cross.
0: Mm. So next the narrative begins to move back and forth between Jesus' trials and Peter's denials. Mm-hmm what is John's purpose in weaving together the stories of Jesus' trial and Peter's denial?
1: Yeah, I think, like I said at the beginning of our time, it's contrast. He's going to compare and contrast Jesus with Annas and Caiaphas on the one side and all the soldiers and all that, and then uh, also Peter as mm-hmm. well. And Jesus will, will look infinitely, beautifully bright and pure as light compared to all that darkness. And Peter's, you know, Peter's not a wicked man, but he just comes off as dark as well. He comes off as in some sense no better than anyone else. So it's compare and contrast. So he weaves them together and you have that that rhythm, um, you know, so trial, denial, meanwhile back at the trial, meanwhile back at the denial, there's that, that weaving back and forth.
0: Hmm. Now, what's going on in verse 13 and 14? Who do we see here, and why does John remind us of what took place all the way back in chapter 11?
1: Okay, so yeah, this is the first. Jesus is going to go through, I believe, six phases of his trial, Hmm. six of them. And I, I don't know that I could catalog them all now, but I know that certainly they involve Annas and Caiaphas. They involve Herod, King Herod. They involve Pontius Pilate. They involve being traveled from point A to point B to point C to point B to point D to point A. To, I mean, there's just a lot of moving around. Mm-hmm. But it all starts with Annas and Caiaphas. Um, at this point, Pilate doesn't know, I think, anything about this. I think he's going to be informed. Um, by Annas and Caiaphas, what they want him to do, and we'll get to that. But the first, you know, is the Jewish leaders. They uh, Annas was the high priest, and high priest was supposed to be for life. So they don't bring him to Caiaphas's house, and Caiaphas isn't even mentioned prominently. He's just mentioned by the by. The real power here is Annas, hmm. and Annas was Caiaphas's father-in-law. So we know that high priest is high priest for life. Then why then was Caiaphas high priest? And he says and it said high priest that year. Well, it's because the Romans didn't want any one man to be too powerful. So they would move someone out, put him out to pasture, put him like in an honorary position and then bring up another guy. But Annas controlled it all. It's all his sons or his son-in-law, he's the real power. Hmm. So Jesus is being brought to Annas and Annas is a thoroughly wicked man. He is absolutely, you picture for me, the godfather of a religious mafia. That's the way I picture hmm. Annas. He's making huge money on the religious system, on the sacrificial system. Hmm. Absolutely. Like I said, quarter of a million sacrifices, yeah. temple inspections, money changers, hmm. opportunities to make a profit at every turn in the road. The the pilgrim brings a, yeah. uh, a sheep, sheep's not quite good enough, has a blemish, something's wrong with it, gets confiscated. But over here we have some pre-approved sheep. Were there yesterday, confiscated from yesterday's pilgrims, get sold for an elevated amount. Sorry, you don't have the proper currency, but we've got some money changers over here that will. I mean, money's rolling in Mm. for years, filthy rich. And you know, he's going to fight for his position. He's, like I said, like a mafia godfather, and he's going to. So, that's he's being taken to Annas' house. Caiaphas is identified as. you know, the one who had said it would be good for one man to die in the nation, not perish. So John is just reminding us of that prophecy. That's exactly what's going on here. One last thing, uh, the prediction of the prophecy uh, that's being acted out by Jesus being bound. They bound him and led mm. him to Annas, and um, uh, some commentators have linked it to Isaac being bound and laid down by Abraham to be sacrificed. There's the binding of
0: Jesus, so his arms are bound. Mm.
1: It's, it's very interesting, again, like Samson, Jesus could have broken those bounds if he wanted to.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. The the divinity and humanity of Jesus here, because it's, mm-hmm. like we've talked about, you, Jesus bound. It's like, mm-hmm. if Jesus wanted out of those bonds, <laughs> yeah. nothing would stop and him. And honestly,
1: it's, let's be honest, he doesn't need his arms. <laughs> he can be bound and kill everyone. Right,
0: we've seen yeah. a word knock down all Even of these not, not a word. He drove yeah. out the
1: Syrophoenician woman's the demon, without speaking a word or doing anything. Just thought it. So he doesn't need his arms, he doesn't need to be anywhere in particular, whatever he wants to do. If he wants the emperor dead, he'd just think it and the emperor's dead. Stop holding him (laughs) together. It's just (laughs) just incredible. Hmm.
0: In these final verses that we'll look at today, Peter and another disciple followed Jesus Mm -hmm. to his trial. Now, Peter had promised Jesus that he would be willing to die for him. Mm -hmm. What would you say of Peter's spiritual demeanor throughout this section?
1: Well, pride goes before the fall. That's what we're seeing here, and he was proud. He thought he was the best disciple on earth. <laughs> Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Mm. So of all the people that, that follow you, Jesus, I'm the, the greatest, I'm the least likely to fall. And he thought he had proven that just by pulling out that dagger. Um, interesting. Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter follows at a distance, and so the reason um, for that, the reason he's following at a distance, is um, because he had fled when hmm. you know the disciples all deserted him and fled. It openly says that in Matthew's gospel. Hmm. So, what is Peter doing? If you know Jesus has opened a way for them to escape, they all run through it. Yeah. Mark's gospel says one of the disciples, not one of the apostles, but whatever, I think it was Mark, left a garment in the hand of somebody grabbing at him and ran away naked. Everybody's running for their lives. Wow. The disciples are terrified. Keep in mind, these are the very same ones that were in downtown Jerusalem, 40 days later, 45 days later, 40 whatever days later, Pentecost, boldly preaching the resurrection of Christ. Mm. Fearless. What happened? Christ rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And that's what yeah. happened. Yeah. So, but at this point, they're all terrified. Strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. they all run away, but what does Peter do? You turn. Jesus has orchestrated his safe escape. <laughs> it's not good enough for him. He turns around and follows at a distance, going right into the lion's den. The very place that Jesus did not want him to be because he would lose his faith. Mm. And remember what he prays in in Luke 22, I've prayed for you, Simon, what? That your faith Faith will not not fail. fail. Mm. And you're going right into the lion's den. You're coming as close to your faith failing as it possibly can, but I won't let it happen. And so it's amazing. So he follows at a distance. The other disciple, we don't know who it is, might be Nicodemus, might be Joseph of Arimathea, might be someone, he doesn't name him, so we don't know. But he's known, he's part of the inner circle of the, you know, but he's a follower of Jesus and he orchestrates Peter's entrance into the courtyard of the high priest, and he's able to get in there, and then he immediately gets into trouble.
0: Mm. Now, before we uh, reach the end of our time, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easy for us to look at Peter and think, oh, Peter, Mm -hmm. come on, Peter. But I think relying on ourselves is a tendency for us as well. What is God's strategy for weaning us off of Mm self-trust, turning us to God?
1: Sometimes he, it's a great question. Sometimes he gives us over to what we want, teaches Mm -hmm. us a lesson. And so he lets Peter be the bold man. He lets Peter, and the thing is, I think what's going on with Peter is as he goes into the courtyard, he doesn't even see the girl that talks to him. He's just walking by her. He's probably past her. Wait, 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 no, you're not one of his disciples, are you? She's assuming the answer, no. She's not heard his accent yet, which is going to give him away. Mm -hmm. She's just asking, yeah, I can't let any of the followers of Jesus in. You're not one of those, are you? Hmm. And he immediately denies it. Now, here's the thing. It's like, what what just happened? What happened was you were expecting the temptation to come in this direction. And you're ready for the Roman soldier. You're ready to lay down your life for Jesus. You're not ready for the slave girl coming from the side. So you walk by her, she, oh, wait, wait, wait. She grabs at you, you say, you're not one of his. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not one of his. Wait, what just happened? Mm. You don't even know what just happened. It just happened that quickly. Wow. And I think about temptations. People fall into sexual immorality, commit adultery at a, at a Christmas party with a secretary or whatever, and then they're crying later, you know, asking for forgiveness, they don't and they say, I just don't know what happened. You know, it came on me like a freight train. You're a fool. You should have thought ahead of time, what am I getting into? What's that evening gonna be like? What could happen? Get ready, be prepared. Mm -hmm. Remember how he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Do you know what's about to happen tonight? Are you ready? Oh yeah, I got this. No, you don't. And he had not prayed. He'd fallen asleep in Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know it was coming. Temptation came at an angle he didn't expect. Does that ever happen to us? Like every day. (laughs) Yeah. And so next thing you know, now he's trapped in a lie. And Mm -hmm. once he's lied once, he's committed and it's it's hard. So he's out there with Jesus' enemies and he's standing warming his hands. It's crazy. He's just rubbing his hands, standing by the fire, warming himself with Jesus' enemies. It's Mm -hmm. a very bad scene.
0: Yeah. Now before you share some final thoughts on this initial section of John 18 with us, what does Peter's response to the servant girl's question show us about the nature of sin and this Mm. initial lie really sets up the rest right the worst night of peter's life
1: the worst night well i think what we see here and this is what the scripture does i love what john calvin said in the the institutes of the christian religion nearly all the wisdom we possess that is to say true and sound wisdom consists in two parts the knowledge of god and of ourselves so what do we learn about god here look at jesus perfect character perfect obedience, perfect courage, just sublime morality and perfection. What do we learn about us? Look at Peter, what's he like? And look at Annas, what's he like, what's his motive? Just It's just ugly. And to think, this is, this is one of the disciples, this is the leader of the disciples, and he's this bad. Are we really this bad? No, we're worse than this. We're worse than we can imagine. We need a savior, that's what we learn. And, and we also learn from this that temptation comes at angles we, we can't, we can't we foresee, we need to watch and pray, we need to be careful, and, and Peter wasn't. And so he's locked in now, and we're gonna see next time, God willing, uh, how he continues the lie. And, and yet, th- through all of this, I see the greatness of the grace and the mercy of God. Peter's up in heaven with crowns of glory, uh, with uh, fruit of a courageous ministry, uh, laid down his life for Jesus. Tradition says crucified upside down. John says at the end of this gospel, the death by which he would glorify God. So he's going to end up fine. So it's to, in the end, despite his horrible night, it's pretty encouraging for sinners like us. Mm,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Well, Andy, what final thoughts do you have for us just on these Mm -hmm. first 18 verses of John 18?
1: The best thing we can do with John's gospel is just get the main point, and that is to see the deity of Christ on display and believe in him
0: Mm.
1: and to trust in him and know that he is our savior, especially when we see the contrast with human darkness that we see in our own lives.
0: Well, this has been part two of episode 37 in the book of John. We invite you to join us next time for episode 38 entitled The Trial where we'll discuss John chapter 18, verses 19 through 40. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.
1: Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians